I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and this is the Downtown Riders Jam video podcast, which, if you listen to the program, you know it's part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. And if you don't listen to the show, we are part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. Max the Dog and I are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker today. And, uh... This is a good old good one we got. It is one of the more unexpected chats that I've had on the program. And I'm really happy that it happened now. And I think that it's uh, an important conversation to have. Uh, It's Chevy Stevens, uh, who's here talking about her seventh book, Dark Roads, which just came out in August. Um, So just a little background on her. uh, Another one of my Canadian writers. She's up in uh, Vancouver Island with her husband and daughter. Uh, she grew up on a ranch there and still lives there. Uh, she worked in a bunch of other stuff, like everybody else worked with a bunch of other stuff. Uh, it, the last job she had before this was as a realtor. And she was having an open house one day and had that like freaked out, like what would happen if something bad happened to me? And that becomes her first book, um, which allows her to leave the job and become a writer because that becomes a New York Times bestseller. And it won the uh, International Thrillers Writers Award for the best first novel. Um, she hikes uh, out in the mountains, like spend time with her family, like loves airstreams, like all kind of shit that if you've listened to this program at all, you've heard me talking about all of that stuff. Now, that is not why I think this was an important conversation, because it's two hillbillies talking about like the same shit. But what you're going to hear is we have a long discussion about mental health like that. The, the, I actually recorded an hour, and as you know, uh, I don't often edit the program. 
when I do, I just clip it. I don't edit things together because I, I don't like there to, I like there to be a context for what we're talking. Even if it's a little rambly, I think that context is important. And she and I got on the discussion of like growing up in rural areas and mental health and outdoors and writing and spirals and like all of this stuff, depression and anxiety. And it's just, you know, we talk about this stuff more and more these days. Uh, but it's still good. I think it, for me, it was cathartic to have that conversation. Um, and there's like five times to the interview where I'm like, okay, wrapping up, we're going to go. And then we kept going. So you're not going to hear all of those, but just know like you caught about 25, 30 minutes of a much longer conversation. Um, and a conversation again, that I think is important. It, I know when I started trauma therapy, I told my therapist, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to write again. And to be honest, it's, I've struggled in the last five years, put any words on a page. Um, I believe it'll happen again, but I used to be far more prolific than I am these days. So having this conversation with Chevy about her writing her book, uh, sort of the process, like she can't turn stuff out in the 18 months that other people do. And that's traumatic for somebody that's trying to like make it in quotes in the industry, because that's sort of the expectation. So all that is to say, like this, I think is maybe one of my most favorite conversations because it's real and raw. Um, and I hope that you will enjoy it. Before we get to that, and I'm going to blow through this real quickly because it's hard to be like mental health and then sort of switch to like business. But here we are, right? So the video podcasts come out Mondays and Fridays-ish. You can find those on the Solid Listen podcast video uh, network over at the, on the YouTube channel. You can also check them out at writersjam.com, or you can catch the audio wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, we need you to do a couple things to help us spread the word about this. First, I need you to tell your friends about us. Somebody ask you what you're listening to or what's good or whatever, like tell them about us. Second thing, and this is equally as important, is that I need you to go leave us a review. So if you listen to Apple Podcasts, you can leave us stars and a written review there. You can go over to the Writer's Jam, the Facebook page, and leave us a review there. Or you can go to thewritersjam.com and leave us a testimonial through the webpage. All of that's super helpful. Now, you're looking for a book to read? We got book reviews on the site. Looking to buy those books? Click on the bookshop link. Take you right to the place to buy the books. Sign up for our monthly newsletter. Come into your email box once a month. You can also support everybody on the Solid Listen Network by clicking on that Patreon button. A couple bucks a month. You get commercial-free episodes, all kind of stuff, bonus content from everybody on the network. So it's a, it is a... It is a good and interesting day on the show. And I appreciate you stopping by the bunker, spend some time with Max and I uh, to listen to Chevy and I talking about uh, what I think is a really um, hard and interesting subject. Um, and it's a reminder that you need to take care of yourself and take care of each other and, and make sure that you're carving out some space for you just to breathe through things. And I hope as part of that, You'll sit back, spend the next 35 minutes or so in my conversation with Chevy Stevens. It'd be a nightmare. It was honestly <laughs> horrific. It was, I blame my husband frequently because I had said to him, because we were going for two weeks and I have family that still live in Germany. So we thought, well, we'll combine. We'll do like one week, the family, one week business. And which was really just a disaster because he didn't realize that business too of course you're going to it was 
you know, a different city, you know, I mean, it was not, it was great for me because I got right. to see Munich and all these different places, but having a kid with you, this was a no way part of anything she wanted to do. And she <laughs> wanted to make that really clear. And, oh I like God, I, yeah, my <laughs> husband was like tipping the guy on the airplane to give him more champagne and orange juice. Like it was just like, and I remember saying very clearly to him, do you think maybe two weeks with her is too much? Maybe we should leave her with Baba and go. And he's like, no, this, and then, oh man, I remember looking overhead. I'm going, yeah, still think it's going to be a good experience. <laughs> and he was like, shut up. I'm drinking my orange juice. <laughs> it was like the first time in my life I ever got flown business class. Oh, it was just, it was like the trip of everything that could go wrong. Like we got stuck in the airport. Uh, what's the, the British one that uh, logged uh, in Gatwick? for like two days. No, that Heathrow. The Heathrow, the big we got fogged in for like two days. Couldn't get our luggage. Some oh random God. dude helped us on their train system to stay in a UK hotel for the night. Um, it was like everything that could did. Yeah. Oh, and then we finally got on a plane and it was going to land in Dusseldorf, but a, or somewhere in Germany, but they have a curfew. Did you know they have a curfew in some of these cities? Not, but that Germany? does not, that does not surprise yeah. me about Germany. And then also apparently they found uh, an, a bomb, like one of those, oh, oh okay. we found one left over. So can't, can't, you can't land. <laughs> we had to go all the way back and we're standing in this giant lineup trying to get off the plane. We're way at the back. My daughter's like, I have to go potty. <laughs> You're like, why? Just why? Oh my God. You really uh, did experience everything. Every once in a while, I think maybe I should write about it. And then I just think I can't, I just yeah. can't. Yeah. It's what well, I interviewed uh, um, Allison Wood, who wrote a memoir about an abusive relationship. And she said, like, writing isn't therapy. Like, writing does not make you feel better. Writing about these things is not a form of therapy. Therapy is no. therapy, right? So, like, revisiting things like that, people Frankly, are always Frankly, I think like, denial is therapy. <laughs> At a certain point, I, like, I've never revisited anything that made me go, I feel better. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just don't. You're just doing it twice. I don't know. Having, yeah. I think I believe in cognitive therapy. I've done my rounds with that, which is more about teaching different thought processes and That's problem solving yeah. and loops and um, stress management and coping skills and communication and all that shit that you didn't yeah. learn if you were in an average family. Yeah. You just didn't come out. How do you feel today? It wasn't really a thing right. that happened in our childhoods, right? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've written a lot about Gen X parenting growing up, yeah. right? Like, I don't know if this happened to you, but I we literally started this thread where I was like, did you ever think you broke a bone and have your parents tell you, like, we'll sleep it off and we'll see how you feel in the morning? And like all these people were like, me, too. I'm like, how did any of us make this out alive? <laughs> yeah, I yes, I frequently reflect reflect back on we had a ranch, how I just spent all day doing stuff just out in yeah. the woods by myself. Yeah. I distinctly remember discovering that you could jump from one tree to another tree. If you bent them over. And did, you I'm ever, like, did you fall? Probably. Yeah. Like, I don't, I'm like, I would walk down to my friend's house and I was probably so little. And I was like, Oh my God. Like when you look back, you're like, what the heck? Yeah. We had these woods in the back of my neighborhood and there were these vines. You could, you could literally swing 
I mean, yeah. I don't know if they were real, but they looked, I mean, they were bonds you could swing on them. And I remember that Sean Carson fell from about 20 feet and broke his arm. And we all, we were like, go home. And we just kept swinging. Yeah, no, like, like nobody was like, oh my God, we should go get, he just like walked home. And I was like, yeah, that's like, I look back I'm on down. that. And I'm like, what in the holy shit? Like child protective services would be all over Paxton Woods taking everybody away. I remember our neighbor lived on the river and she was my little friend. I was thinking the other day, because when my daughter's anywhere near water, we're like watching the entire time. <laughs> I remember we would have been under 12 years old spending all day. And I'm like, I sure hope someone was watching us. I don't remember. Yeah. We would just hey, all yeah. day. The river. You're out, you're out in the, the morning. Out in the river. Right. Gone. You, yeah. When the sun comes up, you're out in the summertime and don't come home until lunch and then dinner. Like that's when you're allowed back in the house. Yeah. And I didn't really particularly like my childhood a whole lot. So I would just kind of just be out all day. I would do my friend's chores so I could get on their loop. And like, I was on their chores list. So I could like hang out Yeah. and like, cause they had like really amazing things like white bread <laughs> and, and chicken without skin and stuff. Yeah. And like, that was cool. So I would, I would be like, sure. I'll do whatever you need. Let's do that. Yeah, it's my neighborhood. And I don't know, like, how big was where you lived? Like, because my neighborhood, there were 12 families where we lived. It was a very yeah. small place. We, well, I lived in a small town and then yeah. we lived on the outskirts of the small town. That's what we did. Yeah. Yeah. And then I lived on a ranch and our little country road. There was a few little pocket of us kids around the same age. Yeah. I think my brother hung out with the older kids and I hung out with my one little friend. And that yeah. was you that hung was, out with. You yeah. Didn't, you didn't go anywhere like you didn't that was it. And I actually remember frequently that we would ride our bikes home from our school. And when I actually think about how long distance that was, and we could just stop. Yeah. Or if anybody even knew we were late ever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, it was, that was the way that it was for us. Like it was real. How much do you like, cause I know when I was a kid living out in the country like that, I like, I have all these journals. Like I was writing as a kid. Like I just would like, I would go in the woods and like make up stories and make up things. Yeah. Like, was that? Yeah. You had, I had entire worlds out yeah. there. Like um, my dad was in the Navy. So he would have really cool stuff like that. He'd I'd rummage through all his things that I wasn't supposed to be looking through like his souvenirs and stuff. And I distinctly remember one day getting very high off Japanese cigarettes that I was just I don't even know how old these things probably were but let's light this up and then I remember being out there doing that I would read books we had trails that led to other trails there was like you had your particular like meadow that you would you know and it was a world it was just an entire world and my brother he went through a ninja stage and I remember we had like a ninja trail where we would like practice and he had like little star like it was everything. Just yeah. your imagination was endless. Yeah. It's, I often wonder, I mean, I think that I became a writer for a couple different reasons, but I think yep. that's one because like I played Dungeons and Dragons. Like I, like I just always gravitated into these. We had a castle in my hometown. A guy built a wow. castle. Yeah. It's this famous thing. He built it by hand and we would go down there when we were teenagers and play Dungeons and Dragons, like in the castle, because mm-hmm. it was just this amazing thing but it was also an extension of oh my backyard led into these woods and like yeah meadows farms like you know and you just make up those stories really wasn't a limit like also we grew up 
I grew, where um, it's called, a, there was a trestle, the Kinsel trestle. It's the biggest trestle in Canada. So it's like a huge train bridge, right? Oh and it had God. closed when I was younger, but it was still uh, a structure. My friend and I, again, young, used to climb all over that thing. <laughs> I still remember the smell of creosalt, you know, train tracks in the yeah. summer, you know, the buzzing flies, the train track, huckleberry, yeah. that whole deal. And I've worked that stuff into my books for sure. Yeah. But I'm like, what the heck were we doing climbing this thing? <laughs> I know it, it really is amazing that any of us made it. Yeah. And that any of us have any compassion or well, actually a lot of us didn't make it. This yeah. is the other thing we say. It's amazing. No, it's just, we made it. We don't yeah. know the odds of the ones that didn't. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, I think that it is amazing that the Gen X group, particularly North America, I don't know about Europe, but like have developed an empathy in their old age because we did not, that was not given to us. Right. Like you yeah. got hurt and you're like, I mean, literally I broke, two, I broke bones twice. And my parents were like, ah, we'll see. Like we'll see tomorrow. If I, like it I think we did. I think some some developed it, and some developed the complete lack of it. Yeah, that could be true. But I think some of us saw went. Wow, maybe I'll do different. Maybe I'll. <laughs> maybe that sucked, and I'm not going to be that way. Yeah. And then the other ones are like, "That's how it was. We don't care. Screw it." You know. But it's like yeah. doctors who have to work 36 hours are like, "I did it. You should do it." Like maybe exactly. not. Exactly. <laughs> my mom likes to remind me of things my dad did. Like I was having some knee problems. She goes, well, I still remember that time you had, well, I can't remember the name of it, but you had something really bad wrong with your knee and your dad made you hike. We did that really long hike all the way up and you were crying. And I said, I think she might really be in pain. And he was like, no, she can walk. And she's telling me this story. And I'm like, do you? And then she's like, turns out you had this really brissette. What was that name? thing? <laughs> no way really <laughs> like and I remember that and I remember my knee was like swollen like yeah. double the size I mean you would I'd be weird if you didn't remember that yeah that feels <laughs> like a trauma that stays with you like yeah there are some others I'm like wow I don't even uh, yeah yeah so. I mean oh absolutely when I when I write and talk about this stuff with people like things will come back and I'm like how did I block like I'll yeah. tell my therapist something and matter of factly and she's like um you, that's not normal out. and I'm like I mean it doesn't happen and she's like no like that's not a thing <laughs> that's not a thing okay like I've yeah. just made that like a regular part of my life I just assumed everybody dealt yeah. with that you yeah. know like other families don't have that what <laughs> yeah. Yeah, shit what's wrong with everybody so when you so this like I, I don't know if we're unpacking like how you end up writing thrillers and some dark stuff but like like as like as you have been writing and doing like and putting some of those things in, like, do you ever stop and think like, why do I like, why do I gravitate towards this genre of writing? Not so much. No, um, not so much now too, because a lot of it has become more, it's not like who I am in my private life now is I'm not that dark anymore. But in my, when I started my first book, I was early thirties, unmedicated at the time. And so that always creates a different darkness, I think. And I was just in a really dark place. And so at that time, I used to just, I think um, anxiety mm-hmm. creates a natural, what terrible thing could happen. Yeah. And so a part of being a thriller is we're just writing about something really scary that could happen. And we were scaring ourselves pretty regularly. 
we're yeah. a thriller all the time in our own heads right like <laughs> yeah. i can go under a bridge everyone else is just like wow bridge and i'm like god if that came down that yeah. would oh that would suck okay so if i had to get out right now would i go over the edge should i should i gap my window now like the, that's we're i think that um living in a uh, any sort of traumatic childhood, you are typically looking for your exits and you're trying to brace for the bad shit. And I feel that so hard right now. I feel that so yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah. So you're predominantly trying to figure out the bad shit before that shit happens. So yeah. you can the bad shit. And which we all know is going to come from that direction when you were looking at this direction yeah. anyways. So that doesn't really help. But so my first book, I was a real estate agent and I was in a creepy house and I just was doing the whole, what would happen if, yeah. okay. So some dude tries to abduct me. Okay. But like, if I went missing for a while, like who would freaking notice? And then he was like, would my family even care? And yeah. then you go to the, and that became a book. And then yeah. turns out I'm actually, you know, good at scaring myself and other people. Yeah. So then it became, um, it's my thing now. So to, I think I'm just pretty good at figuring out what would be really awful. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Well, it's, I, you know, it's one of the goofy things that I think, and I'll probably just insult like half the literary people in the world. Like, I never think that like an author is in their book, right? Like it's fiction, nonfiction, like, yeah, things mm -hmm. are in it, but like, this is a world I've made up. It's not real. Like right. there's no, this character is not my mother. Like, that's not what it is. But yeah. the, what the questions come from our lives, right? Like the question that launches you into the world comes from yourself. Mm -hmm. And so you're, what you were talking about, about with anxiety, I think is really interesting because I've talked to so many, I have anxiety, like that's part of. I, swear, I think so many of us do undiagnosed or not. It just, yeah. It's a hundred percent. Right. And, uh -huh. and, um, 
I, I talked to so many authors who have said like, the reason I do this is because I can't control the story of my life, but I can control the story in the book. So mm -hmm. the question that I'm asking may scare me in real life, but here I get to determine how it ends. Like I am. Yeah, people always ask me if my own books scare me. And I'm like, well, not really, because I'm manipulating it. Right. Like I, I know, I think the thing that always appeals to me over and over and what I write over and over is survival. Yeah. Like how are, how is, how are they going to win out over the, mm -hmm. the, I like vulnerable, you know, vulnerable characters who have a lot of stuff stacked against them. They're always my favorite books to read as a kid too. The rags to riches, <laughs> the ones who, you know, crawled out of the gutter and ran the world or did something amazing. They always, yeah. like, they didn't just, you know, end up with a down the corner. They always did something really cool. <laughs> so I like survival. And I think that's the story that I probably, you know, good over bad people yeah. controlling dominating whatever male or female yeah. and how they survive it and win over it i think because i'm continually trying to give myself back that power that i think you're missing as a kid right when I, that was why the sort of the beginning of the conversation i'm like oh it's really interesting because we had a very lovely odd conversation before we recorded and i'm like oh it's interesting that we were there because people of a certain age i think yeah and again, I grew up in a rural place like you did, like there's a commonality yeah. of experience, right? Where you're like, oh, yeah. that just wasn't the way things were done. And yeah. now that I'm now that I'm out in the world, like my anxiety hit when I was like 42 because oh, really? uh, because um, I mean, obviously it, it hit was before. probably there. You just yeah. did different things to cope with it. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I had I was in and out of rehab forever, right? Like, well, see, was, there. Were, so it was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah 100 percent. And it wasn't yeah. until I started cognitive behavioral therapy and, yeah. and trauma stuff that it was like, oh, yeah, like and my therapist also said, had I not been writing, she's like, I'm pretty sure you'd have killed yourself because I was dealing with some of that stuff in various states through mm -hmm. things. It wasn't just living in my head. It needed to. I think the difference between the people that do find maybe a way out of it or a way of coping is they're the ones that go, I don't think this is right. <laughs> you know, I, I do. think we're the ones that go, I, I'm not sure if I want to stay in this, yeah. where I'm at. And then I felt like I used to say for years and years, I was just trying to get to happy. Yeah. Like as if it was someplace that I could get to. And I did tons of cognitive therapy, which I really believe in. I, yeah. I had done years with shitty therapists. I think also I, I, as many shitty relationships as I had, I had shitty therapists because <laughs> yeah, they're the ones that like, you know, one, I was like a teenager and he's like, so I want you to just color how you, I'm like, are you effing kidding me? Like color? Do you I had a therapist that? try to get me to take his daughter out on a date. <gasps> <laughs> 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 yeah. So I'm familiar with, I was like, I left. I had another therapist take a phone call from another person in the middle of my therapy. And I just got up oh. and walked out. <laughs> I find you have to really be an advocate for your own therapy. And then they look at you like you're just like the biggest dick. But I remember coming in like, what, as they listen, I've done this, this, and this, that shit's not going to work for me. If you want us to go back and discuss every bad thing that ever happened, I'm walking out right now because I know what happened. I remember, I want you to tell me what to do when I start spiraling now. Yeah. I don't want to talk about then. Yeah. And so this one was like, okay. And she gave me this like um, binder. And I was like, finally, somebody's giving me something to do. And I could write down the negative thought and then yeah. rephrase it. And then I was able to have a tool to catch myself. And I thought that was all amazing. And, but honestly, for me personally, I wasn't able to really, um, really manage my anxiety until I did find the right medicine for me because yeah. 
it didn't, I, I can now use my, those tools, but until I was able to get that yeah. serotonin, I couldn't use the tools because I yeah. just got frozen. So but that, what a that gift is to what know eventually that. helped me. Pardon? I mean, what a gift to know both the tools and the medicine is what yeah. helps you. I mean, I tried a lot of my years though. I mean, again, we talked about how we're approaching 50. Yeah. I tried a lot of times to go to not, well, when I was younger, there were different kinds. I remember in my twenties trying various different meds, just like yeah. therapists, you're either too sleepy or too dead or too whatever. And then I went decades without, which I now go, I could have been so much happier, but, um, you know, because I also had that stigma. You feel like you're, you really should figure this out. Like yeah. I can, I kept thinking it was something I could master. Yeah. I could win over this. I know, I could, right? I just need to read the right self-help book. Yeah. Well, I got a box of them in my garage. Yeah. And um, which, you know, I do think I learned a lot. I think all those years of therapy taught us empathy, communication. We can, um, I think it's important to know all of that. Yeah. But I couldn't put those tools in work myself until I also had a little friend, like, you know, a little bit of medicine. Helps. And let me add, like, does, cause I found it is both harder for me to write now than it used to be, but also I feel like a better writer when I do it because I am more in touch with like the anxiety isn't masking all of the other stuff, right? Like I yeah. can be in touch with things. And so I'm able to feel characters and stories in a different yeah. way than I could. I don't know. Like do you, I wrestle a lot. I go, is it making me a better writer or not a good writer? I, I struggle a lot. I'm like, yeah, am I, do I need to be in more pain to write better? Like, but that's I a not, fallacy, right? That's a fallacy. Well, and a couple times in the last, I think I, I've been back on medicine since, um, since I think my daughter was probably five or so years. And two times in there, I tried to wean myself off because I was like, I just don't, you know, it makes me too complacent or, yeah. you know, I'm just too happy. That can't be right. So I need an edge. I need to wake up with a little burning anxiety or I'm not, you know, like where's the pressure. Right. So I would try to give myself back that. And then I would remember, whoa. Yeah. And you don't actually remember how awful the loop was until you get back on it. And you're like, oh, was this yeah. always in my head? Yeah. Like, yeah. so um, like, cause one time I tried to wean off and right then my brother went and had a dirt bike accident and I had to stay in the hospital with him and I had to bring him home for six weeks. That's a lot to manage at the best of times. But when you're trying to go off your anti-anxiety, having a giant source of anxiety within your house yeah. um, was challenging. So uh, I realized when I just heard myself talking that just how negative everything was. Yeah. Mark. And, and I'm again, like, wow. it's like, that's when you use the tool and you're like, oh God, I've, I've done the, I'm doing the negative thing. I literally walked into my therapist the first day and I was like, I am a fucking piece of shit. And she's like, well, we got some work to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> you think? Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I don't know. Like I was an athlete growing up and like, you know, my coaches would be like, fuck you do the thing. And so in my head, I'm just like, fuck you do the thing. And she's like, that's not normal. And I'm like, people <laughs> just. People don't just are you supposed to say not normal? Yeah, like, like, are you like people don't just get up and be like, get up, you fat piece of shit, and get to work? You're like, no, nobody does that. No, but they did. I know, I know, I know. I get you. Yeah. I'm like, I remember being a teen, not doing great on a test, and then like meditating out of my deck and being all like, this 
this is like young and it was so obsessive compulsive about being perfect and not making a mistake because I was going to get in trouble if I made a mistake right and that just inherently locked into your head and I remember like I'm pretty sure I even wore like a headband like I was all like this is not gonna face it I don't even know what kind of system I wasn't Buddhist so I don't know where it was all coming from but I remember being like I'm gonna do better and I remember going to my teacher the next day apologizing for getting a seven out of ten and I aced, I wanted to retake it and I did. And I got 10 out of 10. And that set up a lifetime of not feeling like I was good unless I got the 10 out of 10. Yeah. yeah. And yet the writing career has been very good. Yes, but not 10 out of 10. Well, so, <laughs> like, but see, that's always <laughs> so the therapy thing in some ways, each time I think I, the gifts that anxiety does give you some gifts. It yeah. does in a weird way. And, or depression can also give you gifts because yeah. it can be that real dark, emotional richness. Ah, oh, nobody understands my darkness. Yeah. And, but then, yeah. Um, when I go back to that place, boy, the rest of my life sure goes to shit. So <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, okay, so maybe I don't write as fast as I used to because I'm, you know, but boy, I'm more patient. I'm present. I'm an easygoing mom. Yeah. You know? so. And my guess is at this point, like it's the seventh book, the seventh book, the dark road yeah. is just out. Like, and I know like the sort of joke with authors and you may agree or disagree with this, but is writing your first book doesn't teach you how to write a novel. It just teaches you you can finish because every novel is its own path. Yeah. It taught but me how to write that book. Yeah, but you still now know you can do like you now know there's a process and you know that you can get through it and you've done it yeah. and there's been success. And so, yeah, I have to think you've got to think you're a better writer now than you were with the first book. I, I do believe that for yeah. sure. Interestingly, there's still people who say my first book is my was their favorite. It's not my favorite anymore. Sure. Um, also, because it was like I started that book in 2005 i mean it took years before it actually went out yeah. but it always does I definitely <laughs> the struggles are still there the self-doubt is still there but what is a little bit different is i i have a i know i have a good team i know i have a good critique partner i know i have a good editor i trust that i will find a way through it yeah you know it's yeah. just well, the bigger issue is it usually takes longer than i want it to sure like i would much rather be faster but my process is just not. Yeah. And so I'm trying to come be okay with that because it's very against the industry to take a long freaking time. Oh, yeah. Do. They want that 18 month turnaround. They don't like that. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> likes that. <laughs> so, but I took four years before this last book. And a big part of that is I spent two years on the wrong books. And because I'm a slow writer, it would take me at least a year to get to enough chunk within a book to yeah. rewrite, to know it's not working before I would scrap it and try a different one. And, yeah. you know, so it took a big, big chunk. And part of me was like, well, this is all very, this is just what it is. This is okay. What will be, will be yeah. the process. You don't know if this is just part of the story, you know? So, and the other part was me going, four freaking years you're gonna you suck you're a loser everybody else just put out four books in that time yeah, what the hell is wrong with you you're gonna lose everything you suck. yeah that is the, that this again that was the existential horror of being a writer is that yeah no matter how much you try to compare yourself not to compare yourself to other people you do and we talk about all the time on the show there's so many different flavors of writing like you're in the business of writing we're like yeah. They, they, you know, if you're with like small publishers or independent presses, like that 
turnaround time is totally different. The voices in those things are different. The ability to experiment is different. But when you're in a genre and like people are mm -hmm. expecting stuff, that mm -hmm. business of writing is a skill in itself. I mean, I, I felt it a lot more, I would say for my first six books, the pressure was massive. Yeah. I also didn't have a savings that, you know, in, um, I live in Canada. So our cost is lower. I, I've always lived cheaply. I've always tried, but that burning pressure of fear of being poor because I grew up without any money and there was years on my own with oh, the worry about running out of gas or, you know, yeah. just all that was so present that I pushed myself really hard in my early books and to the point of a lot of stress and it wasn't fun. I think people don't realize that I actually wasn't enjoying, um, yeah. Yes. You're also being told you're a published writer. You must be so happy. <laughs> and you're also aware that you are living the dream that majority would kill for. Right. Meanwhile, you're just a, a pit of dread and doom 24 seven. Right. So it wasn't until my seventh book and I couldn't have done it earlier because I didn't have the same level of success that would given me the permission to there's yeah. editors who might not have waited so long yeah. but I have a strong relationship and I'd done six great books for them so they were like okay yeah um but that's when I allowed myself you know what I'm just gonna chill and if my daughter is sick I'm going to spend the day with her and not you know yeah not lose myself over it so yeah. and and yeah I mean all I can tell you is I'm so happy to hear that because I think too often all of the like rewriters will fall into that mythology of I got to write every day. If yeah. I'm, I got to be dark, I got like, I got to have problems to write. And really creativity comes when it, you're professional, you sit down the and do it. Skills are still there. It's a skill. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, and yeah. you don't have to be depressed to have the skill. Right. And you've spent you a still long access time. access all those depressed feelings. Yeah. I still got the memories. And like when you're a professional and spent time crafting that, like we don't give ourselves enough credit that like, no, no, yeah. this is actually a thing that other people can't do. And I know. Empathy just, and the ability to step within other shoes yeah. and think what, what might that feel like? And that, that is what a lot of people can't do is yeah. to, to imagine how it would feel for somebody else to undergo whatever it may be. Yeah. You are now going to just randomly get emails from me just saying like, you're good enough. Doesn't matter if you're writing today, like you're the best keep going. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's still, I see it a lot with my friends. I see really successful authors just feeling the push to do a book after book after a book. And I'm like, do any of you guys just want to coast? Right. What's wrong with coasting? Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and in the back of my head, it'll be like, you should really be writing. And the other part of me is like, but do we have to really? Yeah. Will the world fall apart? I won't make as much money. That's for sure. But I'll enjoy my life more. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, you will. I think that you, I think writers write when the time is right, not to use that word a lot, but like, you, right? you know, like yeah, like you just sort right. of like, you know, you know, you know, when, and some days you got to push through it. And if you have a deadline, you know, well, I got to sit down and do this. But other days you're like, I can actually take a few days off and yeah. the story won't disappear. And I won't suddenly forget how to fucking Sometimes use I think I, those breathing rooms. So I find I can push really long hours when I'm editing. Yeah. Once I have the book. Once I'm near the end and my editor has sent me my notes and I'm in the Zen zone, I can work all day. I'll fiddle on let words back and forth. I have a critique partner because I'll get locked up on two sentences. So yeah. she and I have a system, this one, this one, this one, or this one, this, and she, 
um, saves me from the the angst of trying to make loop. that final yeah. decision, right? Yeah, yeah. the loop. So yeah. should, I've found a way to get off the loop. That's great. It needs someone else to break the loop. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So I found a voice to go, yeah, that one. And then I'm okay, cool. And so I can do that. But the the first bits of putting together the story, um, I, it, it's it's like, it's, it's agonizing to make myself do it. Yeah. And so I spend a significant portion of the day trying to wrap up the energy to do it. But I'm trying to accept that that, is what makes my books my books yeah and that's your process that is it yeah it's whenever i work with young writers and they're like how do you write i'm like you that's you got to figure that out yes whatever i'm going to tell you is going to be bullshit that kind of yeah. worked for me and like until you find your voice and the the what works for you you're going to be yeah. banging your head against the wall yeah and you try to find someone else's and like, yeah i've learned that i need a a lot of thinking a lot of thinking and trial and error and fiddling and thinking and fiddling and yep. thinking and fiddling I, and thinking. People don't understand, or I think it takes writers a long time to understand that sometimes not writing is the writing process. Sometimes oh. taking a long, like you and I both hike, like I go out in the woods for like four or five hours and I take my notebook and I'm like, oh shit, this, this is the idea. And I'm walking never and driving, yeah. walking and driving. I don't fly anywhere. I literally drive all over this country. And my girlfriend lives 12 hours away. And she's like, don't you hate it? I'm like, I mean, I hate that you're 12 hours away, but like that drive. We just wrote a whole book. Amazing. I'll <laughs> use Google voice and like literally just narrate things yeah. into it. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. I don't listen to the radio. I don't like, cause the, the voices are here. I don't need more voices. Hmm. <laughs> or something. There's just something hinky that, you know, is not right. And you just yeah. have to sit with it and not actively try to solve it. And I'll be going around. I'll be like, Oh, Oh, I started with the wrong character. Yeah. That's and I wasn't sitting at my keyboard five days to figure that out. Right. That was just letting it be. But yeah. it's, a, it's a difficult thing because industry and the ability to make money, you have, you need to be pr producing, you know, yeah. generally. But the creative artsy side, some of us can't be creative or artsy unless we're just totally allowing it to be. Yeah. And those two things, you know, yes, the, I the, do. Yeah. So well, I wrestle against that a lot because I know I would be so much more successful if I was putting up books faster. Yeah. But, but would I? Yeah. But would you? That's the thing, right? Like, I know. It, you are a fucking delight. I am so happy Thanks. that we have had this conversation. Um, I, part of the reason I love doing this show is, is that I get to meet a lot of really interesting people and I get like hearing about how they go about doing stuff just right. fascinates me to no end. And then when I find somebody that's like, oh, you grew up in a rural place and you have the same stuff I do. I'm like, yeah, all right. Awesome. <laughs> oh, you too are yeah. in the loop. We're Welcome, not alone. Friend. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The loop is like, if people that don't know, like there'll be people out there right now going, I get in the loop. Like, yeah. It's a terrible place to be. Um, yeah. So the book Dark Roads is out now. It came out yes. at just the beginning of August. Yes. Um, U.S. and Canada all over. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, Germany and some of my foreign countries are later. Uh, U.S. and Canada at the same time. It's been on the Canadian bestseller list, which is awesome. Getting that's awesome. That's getting good. Here. I mean, like it's been. Well, wow, and the different thing is, it's a little bit different for me is my books are set in Canada and not a lot of books set in Canada do well in the U.S. So that that's a cool thing. And I think it's because um, I write about rural and mountains and I think yeah. people can just relate wherever you are. Right. So yeah. most of America is hillbillies. So yeah. and you had <laughs> and you had two of my friends recently, Rosnay and Robin Harding. Oh, yeah. And they all said how fun and cool you were. And it was nice to just chat and like hang out. And so. Yeah. 
I was like, I want to get on I contacted you, right? Like, yo, Brad, what's yeah. up? <laughs> I think you did. Like, my friends did this. I know. Like, yo, I want to get in on some of this, this stuff, you know? It's, well, there you have it. That was Chevy Stevens. Her book, Dark Roads, is out right now. Um, that was one of the most raw conversations I've had. Uh, if you've listened to the program over the last few weeks, you know I've been struggling myself with some anxiety and depression and I didn't expect the conversation to go the way it did. Uh, there was actually another 30 minutes that you all didn't even get to hear. Um, but how wonderful, right? Like what a great, um, a great discussion about mental health and anxiety and being rural and writing and, and sort of the spirals and all of that kind of stuff, because that is real. Like all of that is real. Uh, and it, it was just, that was fantastic. Uh, I loved having that conversation uh, and I hope, I hope it was helpful, and I hope that you enjoyed listening to it. Before we get out of here, just a couple reminders. Uh, we ask you to do two things to help us out. First, tell a couple friends about us. People ask you what you're listening to, like recommend the podcast. That is how we grow. The other thing you can do, a little bit of homework, uh, easier than helping your kids with fifth grade math if you have kids, and if you don't, like be thankful that you don't have to do fifth grade math. Uh, leave us a review. You can do that at Apple Podcasts. You can do that on our Facebook page uh, at the Writer's Jam, or you can go to thewritersjam.com and leave us a testimonial so that we can use that as we market what we do. While you're at it, don't forget to check out all the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With podcast with host and our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly McLear. Don't forget, these video podcasts are out every Monday and Friday-ish. Uh, you can find those on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel. You can check them out at our website, or you can catch the audio version wherever you listen to podcasts. And as a bonus, the Jam, which is our hour-long program, comes out every Wednesday. So if you get yourself subscribed to that podcast, you'll never miss anything that we do. Uh, and remember, you can always catch me and this program on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Till the next time, I will see you around the internet. Good morning, everyone. This is Trevor Van Winkle, and you're listening to Homestead on the Corner. You are noisy, your earth. Calling out into the airless, transmitting in the bond. It's just not what I expected, but I remembered. Not how you remember. Dear child, nothing here has changed. Nothing here ever changes. Take us out of here. Maximum acceleration. Heading? Captain? Let's chase that horizon. Homestead on the Corner, a writing advice podcast and audio drama anthology from the creators of The Sheridan Tapes. Listen now on all podcasting platforms or at homesteadonthecorner.com.